Recorded live. Welcome to Evolution Revolution with Dulcinea. It's Thursday, April 10th, 2008. Children are the future. Tomorrow, the next higher vision, the next materialization of evolution. By acknowledging their role as future leaders today, we open possibilities for transformation tomorrow. Evolution Revolution is focused on offering the listeners intuitive and balanced information that fosters transformation both personally and globally, ultimately raising the consciousness on planet Earth. Thank you for joining the show this evening, wherever you may be listening. I am a metaphysician, clairvoyant, and clairaudient intuitive, a writer, public speaker, leader, and spiritual teacher. I am honored to have on the show tonight Dr. Barbara Condon from the School of Metaphysics. Dr. Barbara Condon, the author of How to Raise an Indigo Child, 10 Keys for Cultivating a Child's Natural Brilliance, is a result of Barbara's experience observing her own child's development. Barbara felt it was essential to learn to be in the moment with her child, to learn to truly embrace the powerful messages and wisdom that was being offered from her child. She goes into great depth about the healthy, balanced development of life skills which foster the ultimate soul and healthy spiritual development of the highly evolved children of today, thereby positively impacting human consciousness. Dr. Condren has taught universal principles such as the development of consciousness and lucid dreaming people of all ages, cultures, faiths, and nationalities for over 30 years at the School of Metaphysics, a nonprofit service and educational organization that exists to aid any individual who is willing to put forth the effort to create wholeness within the self, thus accelerating the evolution of humanity. Barbara is an established author with titles such as The Work of the Soul, Every Dream is About the Dreamer, Spiritual Renaissance, Elevating Your Consciousness, common good and the dreamer's dictionary during the next hour barbara and i will be discussing her role at the school of metaphysics she'll offer us some insight on the outcomes of the global lucid dreaming experiment and we will be looking into the evolution of the human species that is readily apparent through the modern children of today often called indigo children barbara share with me the wisdom and inspiration for the book How to Raise an Indigo Child, 10 Keys to Cultivating a Child's Natural Brilliance. The book actually came about because I was writing about my experiences. Um, I had a pretty full life when Hezekiah entered into it. I had just turned 42. And um, I had established myself pretty much in the world as a teacher and a writer and a counselor and um, putting a child into that kind of um, stream of life is an adjustment, as anybody who's been through it knows. And I wanted to be able to embrace that um, experience with the wisdom that I had accumulated from teaching adults. And so what I found was I had many experiences that I did not anticipate, did not expect, and had the insight that I gained from teaching adults um, to put with it. And so um, it helped me to put together what I had been learning about teaching adults, how to use their mind and universal law, and put it into a context of uh, introducing a new soul to that vision of the world. 
and it's been a wonderful challenge. It's been an amazing voyage so far. Um, our son just turned 13 um, a couple months ago, and um, just the general work that we've been doing with the school metaphysics with things like intuitive health analyses and things of that nature, um, they offer incredible insight into childhood development um, and more importantly, how the soul stays open, how we stay open to our inner selves as we go through a physical experience. Because most of us go through um, peer pressure and things of that nature at a very young age and increasingly younger nowadays. Um, we put our kids uh, away from home very fast. And so they have to deal with other people that are not necessarily um, related to us or uh, akin to the same way of thinking. And that causes us to be much more in our, our conscious minds and our brains than settled in our souls. So that kind of soul-centered um, upbringing is very important. I'm not talking religion there. I'm talking spirituality. Yes, beautiful. Well, what a beautiful process. That's just amazing, and I love the idea that you really had a solid foundation with adults that you could then bring and integrate into the child development aspect. That is just powerful. Good stuff here tonight. It <laughs> I'm is. excited. Yeah. <laughs> it's Wonderful. Very, so, uh-huh. It's very important because you have to reach the adults in order for the children to have a different kind of world to live in. Um, so many people think children are the future, and true, you know, absolutely it's true. Um, they're going to grow, and they're going to mature, and they're going to take on all the responsible positions in the world. However, without guidance from um, wise teachers, you know, this is where the, the Native American Indians had, a, had it all over the Europeans that came here and kind of, you know, colonized the, the uh, country. Um, we have a lot to learn from people that have ancestry and who understand the value of aging and of wisdom. And in America, we've just kind of thrown that away. You know, people my age and older want to be younger instead of want to, to grow into being who they are and uh, being amazing leaders. And that's um, really where the teaching really goes on is, is with adults. And so uh, I found that very not only encouraging but absolutely essential for raising children. Um, I think it's one of the reasons why people are kind of gravitating towards second marriages later in their life, second families that they create in their, their later 40s, 50s, and 60s, particularly men. Um, it's, it's almost like it gives them a second chance to do it better, and I guess in some estimations to do it right, um, but certainly to do it with a sense of wisdom from the experience that they've gained. And often for men, it's having more time for their children because often when they were in their 20s and 30s, they were trying to make a name for themselves, make a life, um, make a living, earn some sure. um, income and things of that nature. So they, they spent their time there instead of with the, the wife and, and kids. So um, now we have broken families, and so we have women that are working just as di- diligently as men ever did. And where do the kids go? You know, it, it's, it's a very... Um, it's a very challenging situation. It, requ- it really requires from all of us that we realize how much input we have into children and how much we are guiding souls, even down to uh, the TV shows that are made, the songs that are played and made on the radio. Um, you know, there's a, there's a real core morality that we need to develop in order to really cultivate souls. And, I'm, again, I'm not talking religion. I'm talking about a connection with spirit and one that is always leading us upward and toward um, a more holistic kind of living, a more peaceful type of existence. Um, yes. You know, there's, there's so much that I see my, my son exposed to in video games and things of that nature. And, and he's got a very um, – we have a very open relationship. And one thing that I learned early on that was probably my hardest lesson – uh, was that no matter how much I 
tried to influence him in certain ways, no matter how much his father does, no matter how much the people around um, the college here at the at College of Metaphysics that he lives with and um, that tutor him, no matter what our impact and influence upon his life and consciousness, he's still very much a creature of the world. And so there are many different kinds of influences that we would never choose for him to have that he still gets every day. And Certainly. through one way or another, you know. So the best thing I can do is teach him how to think. Not so much what to think, although that's important, but more how to think, how to make um, really sound decisions, how to, make, how to consider other people in the choices that he makes, how to consider that if, he's, if he does this today, what Im- impact is going to have next week. Um, you know, yes. down the little things, like, you know, money that you spend, and, and if you spend it on this, then you're not going to have it toward the laptop that you're saving for, and, you know, things of that nature, just little simple things that I found. Mm-hmm. that I found in working with adults, 20, 30, 40, even 50 years old, some of them never learned those things yet. Uh, you know, it's kind, of, it's, it's kind of amazing what you amass when you devote your life to teaching and teaching things that really help people be whole-functioning selves. Um, it's an amazing prospect, and it's, it becomes a real joy when you have other people to do it with. Yes, and, you know, I couldn't agree with you more about the children are the future, but without adults to lead them, they'll be lost. They'll just be aimlessly seeking to find all of those tools that you just mentioned because there is no guidance. And one of the things I find in, in, my, in my practice and with my clients is I'm attracting indigo parents mm-hmm. and I give them the information so they can then go lead their children. That's one of the roles that I play um, with, with leading. And I think there are many of us out there that are leading the parents. And, and I think that there need to be more, of course, that would be very beneficial. But we're starting here, launching just with this show tonight, introducing the idea that there are these children and that the adults do need to be informed. In your book, How to Raise an Indigo Child, 10 Keys for Cultivating a Child's Natural Brilliance, is a great tool for parents to pick up and just get introduced to the idea of these very highly evolved children with their extremely powerful intuitive gifts and abilities and and i think that as you mentioned just the the power of role models and influences and support system right right Thank particularly you in the education yes absolutely yeah there's so there's so much freedom now in education that we have and we tend to think that it's very um closed and one-sided and and outcome-based in terms of public schooling um there's a man named Gatto who wrote a book called Dumbing Us Down, which is an excellent, very short book, excellent to the point in terms of what um, mass public schooling has attempted to do. And the, the thing that ha- is happening now with the genetic changes and the shifting of consciousness and the, the different energies that are coming to our planet and how we're responding to it and the different souls that are entering now um, under those influences, which are entirely different than even 10 years ago, much less 20, 30, 40 years ago. Um, those kinds of old systems do no longer resonate with the souls, and so the souls don't accept them. And what we end up doing then is because we want kids to be certain ways and we want them to learn certain uh, things at certain times, and, and these kids, are they're soul-based. They're not based in their brains like um, was previously true. And so that kind of education doesn't really sit well with them. And the, our answer often in public schools is to drug them, is to medicate them. 
so that yep. they will sit still, so that they will pay attention seemingly, so they will cooperate better. Um, I know when I went to school, and this, you know, grade school, this was 40 years ago, and uh, when I was in fourth grade, on my, my, record, my, my grades were fine. They were excellent, as a matter of fact. But <laughs> my teacher wrote on my report card, some of our girls need to, get, need to learn to get along better. And I read that, and I thought, how can I possibly give this to my mother? <laughs> you know, was, I, I remember even report. thinking that at the time. And I was yes. thinking, you know, how rude of her not to say Barbara needs to learn to cooperate. It's like some of our girls need to get along better. It's like, who was she talking about that she put up my report card? You know, exactly. I already had that kind of problem with her. And yet I Certainly. didn't know how to express it. I didn't know how to voice it. You know, I wasn't trying to be difficult. I just, I was an only child. I didn't have neighbors. And I really didn't know how to cooperate and get along very well. It was very difficult for me. And I didn't have the kind of help that I needed. So it's something that I've had to learn as I've gone through life and learn how to develop that. And um, there's so much of that going on. You know, I have real compassion for many of the kids now where it's the same kind of criticism. You know, they, the kids, you know, don't pay attention or they, they're not quiet enough or they're, they're not this or that. Or they're not the way other people want them to be. And that's a compassion lesson for us as adults. And I know I've been on the other side of it also where, you know, I've, I've needed to learn how to reorganize my thinking and my emotions so that I can be calmer in the face of children screaming in my face or, in, you know, in my ears, um, <laughs> too loud noises that reverberate on my nerves in ways that I did not anticipate and did not expect. Um, you know, there's so many experiences that we go through if we give ourselves the time and space with each other, no matter what our age is. And I think that's the whole key is, is learning how to, um, you know, it's, it's Eckhart Tolle's um, philosophy of, of living in the now, of being present, of being able to account for yourself as a soul in your present situation so that you can honor someone else's soul and receive them on that level. We're, we're not very good at that in our society right now. We're, we're a little bit too inclined toward technology. We're a little bit more inclined to, to separating ourselves off and in, um, kind of enduring virtual reality rather than the real interaction between people that is a given receiving, a, a giving and taking situation. Um, there's a lot that I, we have to learn there. I agree, and, and I, I, I really feel that what that equals is respect. And I think that is one of the key factors for, for myself. I identify highly with the indigo characteristics. And I remember being from the age of three, if I didn't feel that someone offered respect towards me, I had a, a real extreme challenge interacting with them from a very young age because I didn't feel like an equal. I didn't feel acknowledged. I didn't feel understood. Therefore, I wasn't able to develop the skills to interact with people on that student-teacher dynamic. And I think we're all students and we're all teachers. And what I often say about indigo children is the children are here to teach you about the truth, about integrity, about eternal spirit. The parents are here to teach you how to pay, you know, do the mundane, do the checkbook, save the money, go to school, get a job, build a healthy, meaningful relationships with other human beings. And so if we look at it like that, there can't be a hierarchy because we're each offering something valuable. The child is offering spirit, the parent's offering the earthly needs, and, and there can be a mutual respect. And when that's in play, and you mentioned that in the book very thoroughly, the respect is just very powerful for the progress and healthy development of these indigo children and all human beings. Absolutely. Self-respect is the first essential life skill. Um, and these are actually, Dulcinea, these are the skills that we teach adults in the school of metaphysics in our, in our course of study. It, it mirrors those. Um, there was a book that actually I, I wrote a couple of years after this called Master Living, which is, is more based on the adult kind of level world. And um, the Indigo Child book is, is really for the parents of the kids and anybody who loves kids. 
um, not just parents will receive something from it, but also um, anybody who's around children, which is all of us, you know. Um, so many times I've been in situations where I've been in a restaurant and, you know, I'll watch people interact with their children and, and sometimes offer the kids encouragement or, or, you know, just a little thought form that's sent their way or a smile, um, you know, whether they're behaving or misbehaving, doesn't matter. It's the support that you can offer yes. as an adult. You know, I've seen, I've seen, um, People literally ignore children. Um, I have a, a good colleague of mine who um, went on the airplane when she was um, she was pregnant with her second child, and she had her first child in tow, and she was on her own without her husband for the first time. And, and there was some woman who would not move to another seat, which was not out of her means by any, way, in, by any shape or means. It was just right next to her, but would not make a seat available for her younger child to sit in. Um, and turned to her and said, well, you decided to have her. And it was just, you know, when she told oh. that story, my heart just went, you know, um, it's like, hello. I mean, I understand, be- yeah, I understand being in a hurry. I understand be- being preoccupied. I understand being, um, you know, just totally wrapped up in your own stuff that you don't have time to put yourself in somebody else's position. However, that's the essence of compassion, and we have to be able to do that. You know, we we just have to. Um, it's if we can't do that with ourselves, then we can't sleep at night very well. And so fear takes root, and we're waiting for somebody else to be mean to us in some way or some you know some time. And so that's the shift that has to happen. Um, I see I see respect as as the esteem or value that we give to anything, um, whether it's a situation or to people or to children, uh, to ourselves. Um, you know, it's it's relative values, and that's really what you were describing. Is that we all have relative values with one another, and we tend. I think all things are beginning to balance out more and more as as time goes by, and we're going to see um, quite a bit of of maturity, I think, in people in the next years to come. Um, with choices, of course, it can go either way, and it always does. But I think that there is more opportunity for people to wake up. And to begin to take action, um, you know, when you see things like like what Oprah is doing now, and and you see the book, uh, you know, the the bestseller list, and you see self help books on it, and uh, things of this nature, you know that it's starting. And also, when there's a recession, um, you know, we are into a recession in our country. It probably will last for a while. Uh, we've been building toward it for quite a while, and it's not anything we haven't been through before. If you're 20 or under, then you, you've never seen it. But if you if you're older, then you know it's come and gone before. It will come and go again, and it's all part of the the in breath and out breath of of Brahm and in. in creation and living and what happens which is very exciting for people like me when we go into a recession is that people turn inward people start looking for answers people start looking for spirituality people start looking beyond the physical for the things that they really need and it's been a long ride out here in the physical with us looking for material stuff and it's time that the tide changed and it is shifting and that's really exciting in in how i look at the world um, and yeah, it will shake some people up, and it will change some things. But I think that that's a very good thing. Um, sometimes uh, I remember there's a, it's actually an old quote from some Greek philosopher, but uh, I remember it best from the movie Steel Magnolias and Olympia Dukakis. At one point, says that which doesn't kill us makes us stronger, and that's the truth. You know, it's just yeah. very simply put. It's you know, we really um, as humans. Some of our best humanity comes out of um, adversity and trouble and sorrow and pain. 
And, you know, you just have to look at things like Katrina to see that. And it's not certainly the only way to grow, and it's not even the best way to grow, and it's not an intelligent way to grow. But we do grow, and through that we, we birth the intelligence, and we birth the heart, and we birth the compassion that we need to be able to make better choices. So I can only see goodness coming in every way yes. for, for all of us. I agree. And, you know, it's so validating to hear you say um, the the recession really brings in that spirituality because when I ask you know, why are indigo children coming in, what's going on, explain to me from a biological perspective. What they showed me was we have been in materialism since the 1400s, and in the 1920s our country, which is the greatest um, economic hold in the world, took the largest crash we've ever seen, and that was when indigos, started expressing their genes, that spiritual gene. That's kind of what I term it. Mm-hmm. And, and then throughout the 1900s, each decade, there was more and more indigos being introduced, as evolution does very slowly. It introduces things to see if we can actually receive it and adapt. And we have. So now here we are in, this, in the two, you know, 2008, and it's just amazing. It's like we have it's gold to someone like myself as well, for people to have the opportunity to look at the truth of who they are, to actually say, wow, there is something more. I'm not here for these, you know, these great shoes or the $5 million house. Or Those are great luxuries, and, and you know, I'm sure we all would appreciate them. But ultimately, we come here to evolve as a spirit, to learn more about who we are as the eternal being in the divine higher expression. And without having some economic disadvantage, it's unfortunate, but as human beings in this vibration, we just often don't do, won't, look, won't go there. And so it just feels really good to hear you say that, that that's also something that you, you see uh, um, being positive in this economic decline. Right. One of the things that when we teach people um, the mechanics of visualization, and we, we teach it as a uniting of the wake conscious mind experience with the, the inner soul subconscious experience, and the way that those two parts of mind actually work together, because our study is, is um, analyzing and understanding the mind as it functions. And the mind is, is separate from the brain. That's one of the first major steps that people have to make, is that the brain is an organ of the body and it has particular functions, but it's the mind, the intelligence, the thinker that actually uses the body and that's why we can have out-of-body experiences and things like that is because we're a mind not because our mind and the brain is the same thing if that was true we would never be able to have those kinds of experiences so when we teach visualization in the beginning a large part of what people are learning is to separate the difference between their needs and their wants and so many people don't have that kind of mindfulness they don't really think about um, their desires and the nature of their desires, where their desires arise from, where their desires are going to take them. And, you know, the basis of Buddhism is a state of desirelessness. And so the way that you get there is by fulfilling your desires. Um, the fulfillment, however, comes from an understanding of why the desire even existed in the first place. And so that's a process that's a mental process to go, to go through and to understand. Um, when you begin to separate what you really need from what you want, then you begin to find that you can exist on very little physical money. You can begin to exist on, on things like bartering, trading, and that then really puts the, the sense of reality into perspective because it's depending upon how good you are at the service you provide, then that's the value of what people will repay you with. 
And so you find that you live a more honest life when you live in that way rather than having it so far removed from you. It's like in our, in our culture now, the way that we've fashioned it really in the last 100 years in this country and, and the rest of the world's kind of emulating it, we've separated ourselves so far from what it is we produce that the personal involvement in it isn't even there anymore, the personal responsibility. In other words, um, the people, for instance, that, that make the cars, and of course now all of this anim, um, automated pretty much, but people that actually make food, for instance, people that prepare your food at a restaurant, we all function under a level of trust that they're going to be clean, that they're not going to do something to the, the food that will taint it in any way that might hurt us, that they will use fresh products, um, there's a very high level of integrity and trust there every time we enter into a restaurant. If we um, get to a point where we can no longer extend that trust, then the service breaks down. And if you have a situation where there's some kind of, of situation in a restaurant where there's been something like food poisoning or, or some kind of scandal of some sort of that nature, then you find that their business suffers for a period of time because people no longer trade there. When you work it on a much larger scale, like um, clothing that's produced or products, um, a lot of times there's product recall and things of that nature, it's so far away from the people who actually crafted the product that the immediate effect of what they've caused often does not come back to them quick enough. And this is, this is when karma begins to operate. And it's one of the reasons why it takes people so long to learn. It's the same way that the body works, where it takes quite a while of thinking a particular way for the body to break down and to begin to eventually become ill and diseased, which will then cause a life-threatening disorder. It's quite often that the causal point of a disorder happened two years, five years, 10 years, 20 years ago. It didn't happen today in your thinking. And it's that delay that gives us time to learn, but it's also the delay that causes the awake conscious mind not to know the connections. And that can be very confusing for people. One of the intuitive reports that we've designed for the School of Metaphysics is called the Intuitive Health Analysis. And it's there to help people make those connections, to be able to see which particular mental and emotional attitudes are causing the conditions in their physical body and in like way, which ones they can change that will cause health. This kind of report is particularly essential and important for um, parents. Um, when Hezekiah was born, we intended to have a natural birth. I had a great pregnancy. I was 41. Um, I did not go the medical route. I went with a midwife. Um, it was just it was textbook, is what she told me, all the way through until we got to labor. Um, I was in labor for almost 36 hours. The water had broken um, several hours before, past the time where it was becoming safe for him and me both. And we were at a stalemate in, in labor. He wasn't coming out. He was a, a quarter of a centimeter off, and I was not giving anymore. And we were just at a stalemate, which was kind of, um, you know, it kind of was this loop of, you know, what's going to happen later. <laughs> but I think we worked a lot of that out in labor. Um, but I had to go to the hospital. You know, it was it was time for crisis intervention, which is what allopathic medicine is for. It's for crisis intervention, and, and it's it's excellent at that. And we went in, and eventually, 12 hours later, I decided, okay, we will have a C-section, and there it went. So um, Hezekiah's entry into the world was less than what I wanted. It was a learning experience in and of itself. However, that kind of experience um, 
kind of threw me off because I didn't expect to go. I didn't expect to to have um, an operation. I expected to have a baby, and so it even took me a while to orient myself to the fact that I'd had major surgery because I didn't plan it. It was not in my tra- trajectory, and by the time I had it, all the hormones had kicked in, and, and my thinking was totally different than it would be on a normal day. <laughs> so um, you know, I had a lot of things to adjust to, and so um, it had my body had difficulty producing enough milk, adequate milk for him. So in the first um, four to six weeks, he really didn't thrive as much as he needed to. He was starting to lose weight rather than gain weight. And so we ended up having to supplement with formula and things of that nature because I have a lack of knowledge on my part. I didn't know yet that things like carrot juice would have immediately affected my body in a way that I would produce enough milk probably for an army of kids. (laughs) Uh, But I didn't know that yet. You know, I was not versed enough, and I didn't have enough connections yet. Um, so what I knew to do, I acted on. What I knew to do was to have an intuitive health analysis on our son, which is what my husband and I decided to do. And from then, we had health analysis on him every six months. Um, I cannot stress to you and to parents and not Dulcinea, the peace of mind, the insight, the remarkable um, and amazing information that comes through in these reports that um, gives the parents tools that they can only imagine even exist in the world. Um, it was able to tell us how not only how our son was doing, but more importantly, how he as a soul was responding to the, the new world around him, um, what kinds of things we could expose him to that would help his growth in terms of the way his brain was becoming wired and his nervous system was beginning to, to function and, and develop. Um, and Daniel and I both have been teaching all our, all our adult lives, so we had amassed quite an amount of, of knowledge and wisdom in being able to use our minds and our intuition. And even with that kind of, of development on our parts, the health analysis were invaluable to us. And I've seen people that, that have not really invested their lives in these ways, that have received a, uh, intuitive health analysis and have been able to um, resist the temptation or urge or um, pressure to drug their kids, um, but it has given them ways to work with um, kids who were labeled autistic or ADD and, in fact, really weren't. Um, it's given them ways to work with kids that were labeled with learning disabilities who really didn't have disabilities, but they had certain ways that they needed to learn. Maybe it wasn't through auditory means, but it was through tactile means or something of that nature, and that, that's the kind of information that can come through. Sometimes it was because they were allergic to certain substances, food substances, yes. substances or kinds of materials or cleaning products. I and was like that as a child, very much so as an indigo. I was allergic to everything. And my mom yeah. had to pretty much use uh, baking soda. Mm-hmm. And an intuitive right. health analysis could have given her some may, probably more promising feedback and more information. And perhaps earlier, too. You know, Certainly. The, the, catching it early is so important. Uh, yes. It's just, it is. It's amazing. Um, wow. So can you get an intuitive health analysis from the School of Metaphysics via phone um, or email or... Actually, what we do is is um, you can do it over the net. You can um, uh, supply a request form, and then we schedule them once we receive them. What we do is we tape them for the individual on an audio tape, and uh, they can ask questions via the mail. You know, if there are particular areas that they have of interest or questions about, 
Um, and then they're done in teams, a conductor and a reporter. The conductor then facilitates on your behalf your questions and things of that nature. And they ask for the things that are disorders that are happening because those are the things that are most disconcerting with our health. And that's the type of that's what that report looks for, the things that are going wrong basically, mentally, emotionally, and physically, and what can be done, what actions can be taken that will bring the body back into balance. And so once the request is received here at our headquarters, then we schedule the report. And it usually takes about two weeks for the turnaround time for it to get back to you. And then once you receive it and listen to it and study it, if you have questions, then um, we have 16 branches throughout the Midwest of our school and people that are more um, that are very adept at being able to work with people and to aid them with um, understanding and using the information that they've received, as well as we have psych counselors that are available. Wonderful. So any, yeah. an intuitive health analysis could be relevant for a child or an adult, correct? Yes, absolutely. In fact, I, one, I wrote a book called First Opinion that um, has examples of health analyses at all different stages of life, from very, very young to early, early childhood um, to middle years, all the way actually to um, going into physical withdrawal and death. Um, there are different kinds of reports that we give, intuitive reports. There are um, 13 different reports that we offer, um, and it depends upon what the intent of the report itself is. Uh, some of them get into past lives, um, if alternate um, time frames and reincarnation makes sense to you or your, your listeners. Um, some of them get into intuition and the development of creative mind. Transference of energy reports are, are very exciting. They're uh, looking at how you use your chakras and the energy flows in your body, how they interact, and the mental attitudes that, that rule those chakras and which ones you tend to rely heavily upon, which ones perhaps you need to be using more often, and how to create balance in, in that area of your life. Um, We've done some amazing things, particularly in the last oh, 14 years or so with the intuitive analysis. And um, the things that they're kind of uh, groundbreaking right now. We're creating quite a research bank here at our College of Metaphysics headquarters. And um, we hope to more and more make that available to people in, in ways of research. Wonderful. If you're just listening, we're talking with Dr. Barbara Condren. We're talking about her book, How to Raise an Indigo Child, 10 Keys for Cultivating a Child's Natural Brilliance. And these intuitive health analyses are one tool and supplement to the book that can help you tune into your child's well-being, your own well-being. And I think this is so exciting. So you can find that on the web at www.som.org. Again, that's www.som.org. And you can also purchase the book, How to Raise an Indigo Child, on the bookstore, on their web, on their homepage. You can just go right to the bookstore link, and I think it's, I saw it like third book. It will pop right up, and you can go ahead and place your order if you're interested. It's, a, it's something that I recommend not only teachers have and not only parents, but daycare workers, children's support pro programs, youth advocates, social leaders, or anyone who has interaction with children or or who has a complete connection to children in their heart and their mind, this book is relevant for and can transform your awareness and understanding of the importance of your role as an adult in these children's, these divine children's life. So, Barbara, what is an indigo child for people who just aren't familiar with the term? One of the things that I've seen, I've kind of evolved my thinking, Delphine, about this. Um, I did some lectures several years ago um, called The Three New Races. And um, I'm getting ready to probably put that into book form because I think it needs to be out there. 
um, the indigo child is, are children that really express what I, what actually the, uh, the Vedas, the Hindu scriptures, call infinite intelligence. Um, indigos are today's exceptionally talented and gifted child. They're very quick thinking. They demand honesty and integrity. Um, they, their souls are very developed in leadership. They have a very royal attitude. My son is so royal, it's not even funny. Um, you know, he likes his eggs cooked a certain way. He, you know, he likes, it's, it's just amazing. And actually, he's becoming quite a chef. We're going to create a, a video here pretty soon. It's called the Indigo Chef, and he's going to be the star because he is an amazing cook. And so we want to get some healthy food out there for people to, to um, make for their, their kids and actually the kids to make for their parents, for that matter. How fun. Um, yeah, it's it's great. That's um, very exciting. They're, they're very intelligent. Um, then you have the energetic kids, um, the infinite en- energy that goes through our beings, which all of us have these things. It's just which ones are highlighted. It's kind of like where the, the spotlight is. Um, and the infinite energy kids are, are the kids who are very psychic. Um, they're very intuitive. They, um, In fact, there was a book that is out of print now, and uh, it was called – was called Chinese um, Super Psychics, right, Chinese Super Psychics. And it's very difficult to get a hold of now. If you ever get a hold of it, it's usually pretty pricey, and it's a book worth having. Um, It was talking about what was happening in China um, with a government um, office called the Effective Human Function Department. Um, And what they were doing, starting in the 70s, they took children who exhibited um, exceptional psychic talent. And these were kids, the youngest I believe was four, and then by the time they would get to 18 to 20, they would seemingly lose their abilities, whatever abilities they had. And so they were studying this phenomenon because they wanted to develop it um, for whatever reasons. Um, and one of the gentlemen who was very involved in that uh, broke away from that and came to the United States and ended up eventually writing this book. And um, some of the information in it was quite uh, apparently volatile that people didn't necessarily want out, and that's why you can't get a whole book anymore. Um, however, aside from that point, it does illustrate um, some of the work that also James Twyman does, who I'm sure you're, you're familiar with and probably you're listening oh, yes. as well. And he has done a, a great service for people, as has um, Junvalo Melchizedek, um, to highlighting these children that are actually from all over the world who um, display exceptional abilities to sense uh, reality beyond just the five physical senses. Um, There's um, some wonderful work that Melchizedek has done um, with, um, there was a girl that I believe was 16 from South America, I think Bolivia, or Bolivia or Colombia one, and she could take a photograph and she could hold it in her hand and she could describe in detail what was on it without ever seeing it with her eyes. In other words, she knew how to see with touch. This is not, this is not necessarily exceptional. Any good healer will be able to see with their hands, with their fingers. Um, a good chiropractor, for instance, will be able to touch um, your, your spine and know exactly where you're, where you're in or out of alignment and things of that nature. And people that know about polarity um, can use their, the polarity of their own body to balance the polarity in someone else's. So this, this is um, indeed divine knowledge. However, it's understandable and it's, it's explainable. And it is something that people can learn and can be taught. And within that, there are people who have understood experiences in these areas so that, that they, in essence, are better healers than perhaps someone else. And that, that comes into this soul presence. 
um, the infinite energy people, uh, not just children, but people, are ones that lean toward a more energetic kind of connection with people. Sometimes it comes through in motivational speaking and things of that nature. Sometimes it comes through in coaching. Sometimes it comes through in actual uh, telepathy and, and um, intuitive senses of being able to be clairvoyant, for instance, or, or to have precognitive dreams, things of this nature. Then there is a third kind of person who um, is what I call infinite manifestation. It's the third principle in the Hindu teachings. And these are the ones that are um, they're manifestors. They can seemingly manifest miraculous things. Um, either whether it's, uh, you know, sometimes it's kids that want a bicycle and <laughs> the, the parents turn around and they have it. <laughs> and it's like, where sure. did you get that? And it's like, well, the neighbor said I could have it, you know, or whatever. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah. it's like they, they manifest things immediately. They don't even have to think about it. Another manifestation of that, however, is also the kids that are, are immune to disease. Um, this is becoming more and more prevalent in our culture. And it actually sometimes, you know, I'm kind of ambivalent with the whole vaccination movement. Uh, which is very strong in the world, um, yeah. you know, our our kind of arming up to try to get rid of all of these natural bacteria and viruses that are in the world yeah. um, have only spawned strains that we can't combat. And Absolutely. actually it's backfiring and it's becoming more dangerous for us. And more importantly, it's also a danger to the kids that we're vaccinating. Um, one of the the most difficult things for me to neutralize and forgive myself for was giving our son a round of vaccinations. Um, having gone through the C-section, which I already talked about and didn't expect, having been through that, been through 48 hours of labor, been through a major operation, I was in no position to make any kind of intelligent choices um, for quite a while. And um, because of the kind of machinery that they have in, in place in hospitals, um, the attitude is that you're, you've given them so yourself over to them for care, and they immediately begin. Well, this is needed. This is what's important. This is this is what we do next, and all this kind of stuff. And um, before you know it, they've already put things into your child's body that really didn't have any business being there. And um, I will never forget the look on Hezekiah's face at um, three months when he had to be held down to be. Uh, to have a needle put in him and to have viruses introduced to his body. And he screamed for five hours after that, so much so that the doctor even called us three hours in because he knew it was bad. And, um, you know, we've been working with him ever since to help him balance that out and heal sure. it. And, um, you know, working with things like biofeedback and all kinds of different resources that have helped enormously. But, the da- you know, the damage that we're potentially doing to the bodies of these souls through well-meaning vaccinations needs to be something that people need to be educated about. Um, I do agree. I can't make that decision for people, but people have to become sure. educated about it. And yes, and I would... I was in, and during college, I apologize, during college I was a molecular biology major, and that was wow. one of the big concerns in genetics that we were, we were studying was, okay, well, we can tinker with things and we can move things around and we can, you know, alter genes, but ultimately we don't know the repercussions. And what we're encountering is that these bacterial strains that we're working with are no longer cooperating. Right. <laughs> they want to survive. <laughs> exactly. And they're evolving as we are as spirits. So I think what, what this demonstrates is, demonstrates is the human species spiritual evolution. We no longer need to focus so much on the physical um, aspect of well-being, but to look within and find the divine connection that leads us to our higher self, 
which, as you say, can then create a healthy, well-rounded being that can then naturally shun off these bacterial infections and, you know, viruses and things that can put us at risk versus going in and actually injecting them in, (laughs) hoping that because the exposure was there, we no longer will become infected if, in fact, we encounter that that particular strain. Right, right. I kind of have an inside joke sometimes. I talk about designer viruses and, you know, the flu viruses that they put out every year indeed, you know, cause it to move through the society. And um, it's kind of interesting to watch it ebb and flow because here at the college we have people coming and going. And, you know, we'll have waves of people come in and people are sneezing and they have the the cold or the flu or they're talking about having had it or other people around them have it. Or, you know, it becomes kind of a wave of of consciousness that's being introduced in in a very medical way. It's it's an interesting thing to study when you kind of step back from it and really look at what's going on and and what's perpetrating it, actually, in in our society. But the, the infinite manifestors, back to that, the infinite... Um, yes. <laughs> yeah, manifestation. Um, one of the the ways that that really started showing itself about um, ten years ago was in babies of AIDS patients, and they would be born with the AIDS virus, but within the first few years, they would be tested again, and there would be no sign that they'd ever had it. Yeah, it was quite amazing. And, yes. Um, the ability for the body, the soul to come through and to utilize consciousness in a way that can change the body. Um, you know, it's, it's like the phenomenon of people's hair turning gray overnight or people yes. losing, you know, 10, 15 pounds overnight, literally. Um, people growing wrinkles overnight or, you know, people, um, the changes that can happen with the body, the multiability is amazing. Um, you know, the whole area of um, neoplasticity of the brain and things of that nature is in neuroscience are, are all very exciting areas that are not mainstream yet. Um, they're very out there on the ends of society, and yet they are the future, and they are definitely studying um, what's going to continue to happen as we keep evolving. Um, the old structures are going to go away. They're going to begin to die out and, and just um, – they'll be starved because they won't be fed anymore. And then you know, will begin so, to pass them. So interesting. You point out the, the ability to be able to heal. And I actually had that experience where I had come, I was married um, previously and I had used my husband's razor that he had shaved his face with that morning. It was Thanksgiving Day. Mm-hmm. And I used it on my legs. And mm-hmm. by chance, he had a cold sore. So about eight hours after using the razor, on the middle of my shin, I had a cold sore. Uh huh. And I went, oh my gosh, what is this? We went right to urgent care because I'm very in tune with my body. And uh-huh. I went, oh, oh, what, what is this? He go, he goes, oh, oh, no big deal. You have herpes. Uh, um, you know, a cold sore. Uh, I'm like, what? What, what happened? And I go, oh. And I looked at my husband and I looked at his lip and I went, oh my gosh, I cannot believe this happened. So I went home and I ran light, white light through my body over and over and over. And I was in biology at this time, so I could picture the cells. Um, mm-hmm. Also, being inherently clairvoyant, it was easy for me to do. And I went back to the doctors and I was like, test me. I know it's gone. Test me. I need to know. And it was gone. And it was so miraculous, and I thought, now that was amazing. I don't even know how I actually knew to do that, but it was just like, wow, I could reverse things. I can make Absolutely. things. Absolutely. It was so empowering, and I think I was about 21 years old at that age, so it was a really um, interesting experience. So I definitely have experienced what you're speaking of firsthand. 
And what's what really wonderful with the children is when you have that perspective of the power of the mind, you know, with the body and how to use the body wisely and things of that nature, then you can teach that to the kids. Hezekiah knew that he could heal when he was two. Yeah, he didn't understand the full concept, and he has yet to really grow into, he'll keep growing all his life into what, you know, he can do as a healer. However, just having the openness to that, I was raised in a family with a faith healer, so um, it was very much a part of my life growing up. And yet it wasn't encouraged necessarily in me. It was encouraged in the person who could faith heal. And he was, you know, he was seen as ordained by God to be able to do this. And so it was that kind of, of ego separate structure in, in the abilities. And that had a certain effect and an impact on me. It, it definitely spurred my curiosity, my drive, my determination to understand kundalini. And it definitely was something my soul chose without a doubt. However, I was not programmed or given that information early on in my conscious mind of my ability to heal. So that I've had to learn from and wrestle with and and do different things in my learning and karma with it. However, it's freed me to be able to understand not only how Kundalini works, but also to then pass on to our son his reality of being a healer and that nothing ever happens that isn't changeable and nothing ever happens that doesn't have a purpose. Everything does. You know, there's a reason for it. A couple years ago, he was, um, it was in the summer, and he um, got into some poison ivy. We have a lot of land here, and it's, it's very much nature. So he got into some poison ivy, and it, it really took a hold of him pretty well. It got, um, got on his legs pretty bad, and, and he then, you know, transferred it to his face, and it just got here, there, and everywhere. And so it was one of those um, annoying things. But it really troubled him. He was 10, and it troubled him a lot. And I could see his consciousness and emotions working into it, which, of course, was feeding it. But also I could see how it was really altering his sense of identity. He was also um, dealing with being overweight at the time. And it was very interesting because the way that he and his, his um, his dad and I worked with him through this period was highly significant and and I was really pleased with the outcome. I didn't know what would happen sometimes while we were going through it. But the way that we worked with it and the way that we began to see the connection between um the poison ivy and actually then what ended up being a herpes strain in him and um how that fed into chronic fatigue syndrome and some other things that could lead to MS and other other parts of of the um, existence of of the physical body and those kinds of things and how we worked with biofeedback with that was very important to him being able to see how he could heal himself and how he could change. And that came about the same time that he decided that he was going to take charge of his body. And he wasn't quite ready for martial arts yet. That's only really come into his life in the last year. But he was definitely ready to take a level of uh, charge of his body and being able to actually um, assert himself, which was very important at that age, um, to being able to make his body do what he wanted it to do. Um, he didn't want to be fat. He didn't like being fat. He knew that he was fat. He knew some people that were fat. He knows that, that I have problems with my weight in terms of it being fluctuating and, and um, heavier than I would like it to be in that kind of nature. And, and I'm very open and verbal about that with him. I don't try That's to hide it. That's very healthy. Yeah, it is. And it also, in helping him, it helped me. And I was really proud of him to watch um, him begin to work with himself. Because the way that I did it, Dulcinea, was we started talking about the science of eating. And in talking about the science, we talked about how um, each kind of food packs a certain amount of energy, and it's called calories. And so the caloric intake or units of a particular kind of food 
um, gives you a potential energy to use. You either use that, or if you don't, then it's stored up. And so we started, we started having talks like that off and on. And so then he wanted to get a calorie book. So we got a calorie book. And that was very interesting in itself because most of the calorie books had things like Burger King Whoppers and things that he never eats. He's never had a Burger King Whopper in his life. Um, he eats very healthy, and we grow our own food. It's biodynamic here, and it's wonderful. And so very infrequently does he eat like at a restaurant or anything like that. And when he does, it's usually, you know, some kind of Japanese restaurant or something of that nature. Uh, (laughs) So, you know, he has a kind of different life to begin with. But he started paying attention. He started paying attention to um, how much, how many calories were in ice cream because he really has, he's like his dad. He has a a favoritism for ice cream and a, a softness for it. And so if he had ice cream, then that would mean that later on the day he wouldn't have something else. He started monitoring himself. I didn't have to do this at all. And I wouldn't have forced it on him anyway it was all his choice and he worked with it um he ate pizza for quite a while and he would lessen he would lessen that to where he lost the desire for it and yeah. that's when he started then being able to start cooking and we started looking at more healthy foods we started looking at um the effect of blueberries for instance on balancing your sugar levels and working with your pancreas and with a lot of different things about vitamins and minerals and, and uh, the natural content. They, they go out in the garden and graze is what they call it. They get you know fresh greens out of the garden. Hezekiah won't eat it if it's on its plate, but if it's out in the garden, he'll eat it right off the plant. You know, and that kind of thing. So it was just giving him the freedom to do that and to make his sure. own choices. And it's amazing what he's done in a very short period of time. Things that, that I'm still working on, on trying to get myself to do. Um, and he's very inspiring for me. He's and for teaching people. you. So it's amazing what you can do with just the right attitude, the right openness, and the right honesty. You know, the honesty Wonderful. is for the kids. Yes, it's so true. So it just really indicates that importance for that respect and that responsibility and that independence that indigos or highly evolved children of today really demand uh, to be on earth. It's, and it's very clear with your son. That's wonderful. <laughs> so we're talking with Dr. Barbara Condra on how to raise an indigo child, 10 Keys for Cultivating a Ch- Child's Natural Brilliance. is the book that you can pick up on www.som.org. It's it's great resource for anybody who has the heart for children, interacts with children, or has wants a key understanding even for themselves. I found a lot of information that just validated me as I read through that about who I am, and it made me feel like I had more permission to be me, which was really, I really thank you for that. And I think that many others could gain from that. There's a lot of value in this resource. And you also go through some essential life skills. So please make sure you pick up a copy of the book at your convenience. And now I'm going to go into an idea. I have written an um, an article regarding indigo children, and it's called Unveiling the Indigo Children. Can you imagine for one moment that the children of today hold a golden ticket that offers humanity a revolutionary shift in the human script? Envision today's youth as colorful jewels ready to radiate their divine luster, but to do so, it is essential for the community to embrace the philosophy that children are the keepers of the planet, harboring the divine mystery deep within that will lead to the enlightenment that humanity has awaited. A revolution is rapidly approaching that requests increased consciousness surrounding the children's ability and genuine support to foster the conscious celebration of the celestial truth within these children, including their magical talents, exceptional gifts, and all. 
Today's children are known to be called indigo children, children of the light, children of the new millennium, crystal children, golden children, children of the ray, and various other labels that are all attempting to capture the same evolutionary phenomenon, highly evident in children across the globe. For the purposes of consistency, I will use the label indigo, but please consider all of the above labels and others apply to the common characteristics among these modern children. They are identified by self and others as not of this world and are far beyond labels. Their existence is truly worthy of awe. Indigo children are demanding more than the linear systems that are dominating the current paradigm. These children have a powerful role to fulfill on earth, and in order to manifest the necessary changes, a shift in the structure from the limiting systems to supportive and expansive regimes must occur. It is time for humanity to tend to the needs of these mystical children now to embrace the essential creation of strong, supportive communities for these children through awareness and acceptance, extensive social support, positive role modeling, experiential learning opportunities, and conscious guidance. Indigos can be generally characterized as highly intelligent, abundantly creative, multisensory, and have a divine capability to articulate knowledge and awareness of deep spiritual philosophies historical, anthropological, and scientific data often beyond the capacity of some scholars, independent of their age, cognitive development, education, and other relevant characteristics. The modern children are often characterized by their indigo blue aura, similar to the inherent color of the sixth chakra or clairvoyant center of the energetic human chakra system. These children are born into the world with clear intuitive gifts and pure intentions, that serve to awaken the spiritual awareness of their parents and all who they encounter. Indigos are expressing the spiritual gene that has been dormant within the human DNA, offering humanity the gateway to a new refreshing experience of their true and higher self. These children are known as children of change in both the multifaceted and multidimensional aspects. For example, a seven-year-old boy from Russia demonstrated wisdom of other dimensions and planets far beyond his seven years and further expressed his knowledge about the gifted children he termed indigos and elaborated on their pivotal role in supporting humanity through the projected earth changes that are rapidly approaching. Stories of this nature are increasing in prevalence from parents, child care workers, and teachers worldwide. Another distinguished characteristic of indigos is their preference to learn experientially versus through repetition and regurgitation, as the traditional education curriculum has prescribed for decades. The outdated educational system with extreme emphasis on standardization testing and normative comparison is no longer effective and has truly begun to hinder the evolution of humanity. For each of these children possess individual gifts that are being denied by the immense pressure to create the uniform prototype. The well-being and balanced development of children in all aspects of the self, including mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual, is the higher focus and can meet the multifaceted needs of these children through art, music, creative expression, character and leadership programs, service learning, writing, meditation, self-management courses, and other expansive programs that are hands-on and foster a true learning experience. 
Another increasing trend among the indigo children is the diagnosis of hyperactive disorders such as ADD or ADHD. The vulnerability to misdiagnose indigos is derived from their higher vibrational characteristics such as rapid thoughts, lack of focus, boredom in routine, lack of respect for the authority hierarchy, spirit interactions, social challenges, minimal patience, and exhibition of frustration as they attempt to function in what they perceive as constraining systems. The common misdiagnosis and often chemical treatment result that is occurring across the United States is a great hindrance to the evolution of these children, for they have a pivotal role in the conscious development of today's world. The longer these children remain unacknowledged without permission to act upon their inner truth and wisdom, the greater cost that our society will incur particularly for future generations. A major challenge these children present to society is their outmoded view of the traditional adult-child hierarchy. Respect for authority may be challenged as a part of their inherent role in this revolution, but can be understandably misinterpreted as a behavioral concern. To proactively address this, a student-teacher dynamic is most favorable and effective with indigos. This will establish mutual respect, which is critical for healthy relationships with these highly attuned, sensitive children. This evolutionary shift requests these children receive extensive social support that can foster validation, compassion, understanding, gentle and clear communication, knowledge, creativity, and experiences that promote self-expression in order to assist them to thrive and manifest their unique talents and exceptional skill sets. Indigos possess an immense desire to learn, grow, enlighten, expand, lead, and transform the current systems and their projected beliefs and norms, whether governmental, religious, societal, or cultural, for the better. They are here to restore humanity's integrity through their living example of radiating their inner higher truth and innate wisdom. These children are born leaders and desire to show you a revolutionary way of life on earth. This will include but not, me, but not be limited to instant divine manifestation of material wealth, miraculous healings, ingenious intelligence, stunning art, innovative music that in the past was only unveiled by a select few like Mother Teresa, Einstein, Mozart, and Picasso. Indigo children are a new global phenomenon of our changing species, exhibiting extraordinary qualities and states of consciousness. The evolution of humanity is evident in these uniquely gifted and inspiring children as they manifest a balanced yet expansive sense of spirit on third-dimensional Earth. It is possible that the indigo children introduce a revolutionary concept, a luminescent and pioneering stage of evolution of the human spirit. Coming up next week on April 17th, Taylor Wilshire will share about her newest novel based on A Course in Miracles, The Book of Mom, that will be available for a Mother's Day release. I'm excited on April 24th to announce Neil Donald Walsh will be appearing on Evolution Revolution to discuss his latest book release, Happier Than God. On May 1st, we will have Chrissy Blaze appearing to to introduce the inspirational teachings from 1958 called The Twelve Blessings. And on May 8th, Adrienne Windsor will be here with her practical book, Seven Tools to Transform Genius into Practical Power. 
From the School of Metaphysics, Dr. Laurel Clark will be appearing on May 22nd to share about her latest book release, The Law of Attraction and Other Secrets of Visualization. On May 29th, Albert Clayton Galden will be appearing, author of Signs and Wonders, and You're Not Who You Think You Are, a blueprint for retrieving your authentic self. For June, we have coming up Dr. Daniel Condren and his consciousness with the book, The Emptiness Sutra, appearing on June 5th. And on June 19th, Dr. Susan Carroll will be reappearing on Evolution Revolution to discuss Volume 2 of Becoming One, People and Planet, a revolutionary look at the interconnectedness between planet and man. Please join me in the upcoming weeks. Additionally, please explore the Evolution Revolution archive shows with inspirational authors that can be found on the Evolution Revolution homepage. The archive shows are available 24 hours a day at no charge and include great talent such as Jeff Brown, Dr. Susan Carroll, Anna Maria Hemingway, Dr. Barbara Condren, Charles Virtu, Michael Tamora, Marla Martinson, Michael Brown, Richard Blackstone, David Robert Ord, Megan Skinner, Dr. Lisa Love, Jennifer Weigel, Betty Youngs, Taylor Wilshire, and Paula Marie Jackson. Please share Evolution Revolution with others who may desire to join us in the future for an enlightening experience. I am a metaphysical teacher, healer, and spiritual counselor who offers clairvoyant readings via phone, allowing me to connect with people anywhere. If you are interested, if you are interested, please contact me at lightforall at gmail.com or you can find my bio and contact information on Evolution Revolution's homepage at www.sedonatalkradio.com. A divine and spiritually enlightening experience awaits you. Thank you for joining Evolution Revolution this evening with my honored guest, Dr. Barbara Condren. Thank you so much, Barbara, for coming on tonight and sharing your book, How to Raise an Indigo Child. Wonderful wisdom. Thank you, Dulcinea. And your article is wonderful. How do we get a print of that? That's wonderful. Thank you. I'll I'll, I'll email over a copy for you. Great. Thank you. Okay, sure. Thank you for that compliment. Much and thank you for the work that you're doing in the world. It's it's truly divine and very much needed. Thank you. Thank you. Much gratitude to you for listening and supporting Evolution Revolution. I wish you all abundant peace, joy, miracles, and light this spring and always. Angel blessings. Good night. <laughs>